still morning, right? Yeah, barely, barely. It was still morning, though. Hey, Micah, would you come on up here and share that word that you uh, gave during worship? Let's give it up for Micah as he's coming up here. <clears throat> Nothing like five-second notice. Way to, be, way to be ready in season. Go for it. Uh, this morning, when Miss Mary started singing into the spirit, I seen a, uh, the Lord gave me a vision of a concrete wall, and it cracked. And uh, I'm not a concrete guy, but I have worked with concrete a lot in the past. And uh, one thing I know is that concrete wall can hold about anything, but as soon as that thing's cracked, it's done. It just takes a couple more swings from a hammer or a little bit more pressure, and it's, it's going to break. So uh, this morning when, when you started singing in the Spirit and continued to sing in the Spirit, um, I believe that whatever that wall that's been maybe hindering us from healing or anything that you're dealing with in your personal life, that wall's cracked, and it's just going to take a couple more swings, a little bit more pressure, and that wall's coming down. Awesome. Thank you, Micah. Yeah, how many guys received that word? So, Lord, we just believe it, Lord, that at the cross, this thing was broken, and so that, Lord, and, uh, and we just see the victory is close. And so, Lord, we just thank you for breakthrough and healing and dead raising and finances and emotional health, relational health sickness, whatever it might be, Lord, uh, favor with jobs, and uh, spout, finding the right spouse, Lord, we just thank you for uh, for breakthrough. In the name of Jesus, amen. All right, well, you guys ready for some good news? Yeah, if you're hearing a sermon and it doesn't sound like good news, it may not be the good news. The word gospel literally means good news. The way they said it a couple centuries ago is the good, glad, merry news that makes a man want to dance and leap and spin for joy. That's pretty good. It doesn't mean you're just going to sit there and look at your belly and ah, no, 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 no. some Gregorian chant where you're just solemn. No, 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 guys, this is good news, so you're, you feel free to respond accordingly. All right, so we're in a series uh, looking at the 26 individual healing stories of Jesus. Of course, he did more miracles than 26, but the Bible records 26 of them for us. And the purpose of this series is we're learning how to heal like Jesus. We're learning it the same way the disciples learned to heal like Jesus, and that was looking over his shoulder, seeing how he did it. So now we're not just looking to imitate him, we're looking to do it the same way that Jesus did. Jesus did it as a man in right relationship with God. How many are in right relationship with God? When Jesus rose from the dead, it said he declared you righteous. You have the same relationship with the Father that Jesus has. So much he says he adopted you as his dear sons and daughters. That's good news. So the way that we do it is the same way as Jesus, as men and women in right relationship with God, completely dependent upon the Holy Spirit. So let's, uh, let's continue to learn from these things. And the idea is that we meditate on these stories. We don't just learn principles and, you know, intellectualize ourselves. <clears throat> I don't even know if that's the word, intellectualize ourselves. But anyway, it isn't just to learn about healing, but it's to meditate on these stories so that we see a picture on the inside. So when we see Jesus doing these things, we can actually picture ourselves doing these things because we have the same access to, uh, to the things that he had access to. Are we ready? Yeah. All right, so this will be our second dead-raising story we're looking at today. The story is found only in Luke's gospel, and it takes place very early in Jesus' ministry. So Luke chapter 7, verse 11, we'll start with. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. Then he came up and touched the buyer, which is an ancient coffin, <clears throat> and the bearer stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. 
And the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has risen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread throughout the whole of Judea and the surrounding countryside. Now, all the, of all the miracles of Jesus, this one's kind of unique. Did you notice that the person who received the miracle isn't really like the star of the show? Like he's, he's almost like a, like a side character. The main person in the story is the mother. I mean, this is like the greatest uh, miracle that Jesus has done up to date. This person has been dead for at least a day. You know, we saw another dead raising. It looked like it was probably just a few minutes. But this one, the greatest miracle to date, and the person who receives the miracle doesn't even get that much press, doesn't even get much of the, of the story. And so the story is not about the power of God. The story is about the incredible compassion of Jesus. It's about the compassion of Jesus for the mother of a son who, had, uh, who needed to be raised from the dead. So you guys ready? Now that you know where we're going in this story, let's look at let's verse by verse through the story. Verse 11. Soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. So Jesus, he's coming to this podunk city of Nain. And so it's just one of those know-nothing Galilean towns uh, the Romans of that time, they wrote detailed maps of the territories. And so we've recovered some of the, not me personally, archaeology. Uh, yeah, when I was over in Israel, I found a couple of maps for them. You're welcome. And so, no. But um, archaeology has recovered some maps. And uh, very detailed of the towns, they never mentioned Nain and they never mentioned Nazareth. They were just such nothing towns. Remember uh, when Nathaniel said, can any, when he found out the Messiah came from Nazareth, he's like, can anything good come that, from that hick town? Can anything good come from Nazareth? The same could have been said of Nain. It's one of these know-nothing towns. Uh, Archaeologists said it's never been more than 200 people in the town. So here's Jesus just going by this little town. And uh, the word Nain is the Hebrew word for pleasant or charming. Okay, verse 12. As he, grew, as he drew near to the gate of the town, this is Jesus. He's getting ready to just walk right by the, the gates of the city. Behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a considerable crowd from the town was with her. This is a pretty interesting story. Here's Jesus, the prince of life, meeting death at the gates of the city. And whenever Jesus, the prince of life, meets death, life always wins. Interesting, a few years later, uh, just outside the gates of Jerusalem, death and life would meet again. But this time, death would be defeated completely forever. So here's the picture. Jesus, he's coming up the road with his disciples, and he's got this massive crowd of people that are following him. He's just done another miracle in another city. They're following him. I don't know if these people have jobs. I don't know what they're doing. They like see Jesus walking by. They just kind of form this mob, and they're just kind of following him around, just anxious to see what he's going to do. And as they're getting ready, this mob with him is getting ready to walk by these gates of the city. A funeral is coming out at the same time. And so uh, every funeral possession in Israel had professional mourners. So we looked at this when we looked at the uh, raising of the dead of uh, Jairus' daughter. And to us, it, seem, it may seem kind of odd, but to them, it made a lot of sense. And so the professional mortars included someone to bang on a tambourine. And so, uh, so don't bring your tambourines here, funerals or otherwise, okay? I call them the devil's baby rattle. Anyway, and so um, they had someone to play the flute in a very minor key. Uh, they would have had at least one or two women who were professional mourners. They were experts at crying. And they would not only cry, they would wail their cry. And project it. And so they would be the ones going out in front of the coffin. So here comes Jesus and this mob who just, you know, probably on high from some miracles they've just seen. They're very encouraged. And here comes this, this mourner's procession, this mourner's, this funeral band that comes out banging on the tambourine, flutes in the minor key. And, uh, and so you've got, the, you've got that coming out. You've got the mom in front of the coffin. And you've got this coffin. And uh, the Jews didn't use coffins. They kind of used like these long wicker baskets 
almost like a plank that would have been wrapped in, in grave clothes. So that's how Jesus was able to go up and minister right to it because there, there was no lid on it. So you get this picture. They're carrying this long wicker basket wrapped in grave clothes. And uh, you've got the funeral procession, the, the, the funeral band. You've got the mom and you've got the dead body being carried, uh, being carried in this wicker basket. Now, when this mom is mourning, uh, she's mourning in a way that, as we would understand, it would be deep and tragic. Uh, because it was only a little while ago she was walking this same path to the graveyard with her husband. We don't know how long ago it was, but she's a widow. And uh, now she's carrying her only son down that same path. And it's bad enough in any family to have this happen, but in ancient Israel, this meant she was really alone. And so women, there wasn't like a lot of ancient, uh, a lot of uh, shark, put it this way, not a lot of entrepreneurs on Shark Tank in the ancient Near East that were women. Okay, not a lot of job opportunities for women. Her provision, her protection, all of that was centered around the man. So now she has lost the only two men in her life, and now that she's alone, she is really alone. And because this is a small little village here, probably wasn't a whole lot of economic opportunities. So now she's completely dependent on the charity of this little village who's probably already overextended and any family members. <clears throat> and so now here she is without protection, without provision, and she's going into old age with no one to look after her. Uh, no welfare system, no hope of getting her job. And so here she is bent over in despair, mourning with the professional mourners, walking to bury her son. She's walking, uh, she, but after that, she's also going to be walking down to her black hole of hopelessness. There's nothing in her future. She has nothing to look forward to. And Jesus looks at this woman in this condition, and it says, he felt compassion for her. I love this, verse 13. And when the Lord saw her, this is the first time Luke ever refers to Jesus as Lord. Maybe it's because he's, he, now he sees that he has uh, authority over death and life. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. You know, I wonder if uh, Jesus, he remembered that time he had to walk with his mother to bury his uh, father, Joseph. We don't know when uh, Jesus' father died, but we do know uh, when he was crucified on the cross, Joseph wasn't there. I remember he said to John, here's your mother. Here's, uh, here's, now, your, uh, here's now your son. And he gave John to be, with it, to be with his mother. So at some point, Jesus took this walk with his mother, Mary. Maybe he was reflecting on that and, and that horrible time that he went through. So Jesus can relate to this widow. He's been through this. He's been the one to stand with his mother. And now he sees the mother with no one to stand beside her. I wonder if you remembered that. It said he had compassion on her. And that's really the whole point of this story. He doesn't feel compassion for the son. The son's probably up in heaven. He's doing fine. He, the, the son's doing great. But uh, his, his compassion he feels for this woman who is now alone. And we've seen this word compassion before when we looked at other stories. And I really believe it's the key to understanding the healings of Jesus. If you can understand your authority, and if you can experience the compassion of God, you are well on your way to minister like Jesus ministered. Okay, guys, get that. Authority and compassion. So we're going to look at authority again. These things will come up again, but this is really important. So how would you describe compassion? Let's look at that. A couple different ways I'm going to try here. We'll see if we can get at it. Compassion is the unconditional love of God made real to us in the person of Jesus. If compassion were to put skin on so we can see what it looks like, Jesus would be that person. Compassion is that unconditional love of God, that limitless love of God, for God is love, and it's made real in the actions of Jesus. So love isn't just this theory. Love always has an exclamation point and an action to it. It's God moving in compassion. The compassion of Jesus helps us see what God the Father is really like. We can see how God feels about sickness and disease by the way Jesus is moved to meet it. We can see how he feels about death. We can see how he feels about loss. 
Jesus doesn't just look at the woman uh, and turn to Peter and go, man, a funeral, isn't that terrible? This poor lady, she's burying her son. He doesn't just have sympathy on her. Sympathy says, I feel bad for you, but I'm going to leave you in that condition. Compassion is moved from the inside by the, by the love of God, and it's saying, I have to do something about this. If, it's, if, uh, if compassion isn't moved, it's not compassion, it's just sympathy. You can feel bad for someone and leave them in their, in their spot, but uh, godly compassion is going to be moved to do something to take them out of that pit. How are we doing? Compassion means that Jesus actually feels our pain and feels with us the circumstances we find ourselves in. The pain of her loneliness actually entered into his soul, and he feels her loneliness with her. The origin of the word compassion, it's actually an old word before the Bible. It went back to the pagan days. The pagans, uh, they worshipped in weird ways. Okay, this is, this is not like a biblical way to do it. This is just recorded history. This is what they did. But they would actually split open pagans, non-Christians, we get this. They would actually cut open a person's stomach, take out their intestines, take out their stomach, take out their kidneys and liver, and with it in their hands, they would present it to their idols. They would call this offering the compassion. And so this word uh, ended up getting picked up, and it was the, the feeling that someone would feel as if their insides were being torn apart because they felt so deeply. Are you guys getting the picture there? Compassion is not just feeling bad for someone. It's when another person's pain affects me so much, it feels like my guts are being wrenched. It's when that holy love meets holy anger. You're like, well, what about, where would you get holy anger from? There's an anger that this is not the way it should be. See, you and I breathe the air of sin as so normal. Jesus came from a different realm where it wasn't normal. I'm not sure if you've ever been like flying in an airplane and you've actually been able to see the smog. Like when you've ever flown into like New York City, you can just see the brown yuck like the smog that just sits over the city. And then once you're in it, you don't notice it anymore, right? Jesus was outside the yuck and mire and brown ugh, of sin. He, he existed in that realm. He lived in that realm. And uh, it wasn't normal for him. So when he saw someone in sickness, when he saw a premature death, he knew this is not normal. This is not the way it's supposed to be. And it said that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. He came to rip all of that stuff away. And that's our mission, too. We get to join him in that work. I think a lot of believers, I think this is super important for us to understand, but a lot of believers, they can't really grasp a God who feels like that. So the ancient Greeks, so we get a lot of our thinking from ancient Greeks. And so like the 4th and 5th century, they believe that um, God could not feel because when, uh, when you make somebody feel something, you have control over them. So if someone makes you laugh, that person, in a sense, has control over you. They've made you laugh if they make you feel sad. And so they would say, we can't make God feel or have joy because that means we have control over God. And so this thought began to kind of get into Christianity, that there's this God up there, and he's loving, but it's kind of in a galaxy far, far away. And he sends his gifts, but he's kind of uninvolved. And it gets this, gets this thing that there's this distance and separation. I got some good news for you. Jesus came so there'd be no distance and no separation. If you've ever been in a, um, yeah, he's not in a galaxy far, far away. He's as close as the air that you breathe. And God not only knows, he feels. I'm not sure if you've ever been in a tough situation. Some Christian, well-meaning, but just makes this stupid statement. And they put their hand, they're patting you on the shoulder. And they said, God knows. God, well, of course God knows. God knows everything. Right? That, doesn't, that doesn't help me to know that God knows. What helps me to know is that God feels. That the pain uh, that I'm going through has entered into his heart and soul, and he's experiencing and caring. You can make God feel. God feels the pain that you feel. Don't tell me that God knows. I want you to tell me that God feels what I'm feeling. That when tears run down your cheeks, those tears are felt in the heart of God. A lot of Christians don't see God that way. 
It's true to say that when I'm in pain, it hurts God. It's true to say that when I'm grieving, God feels and experiences my grief with me. That's compassion. Compassion is that unconditional love of God in action. It's when holy love meets holy anger that isn't the way it's supposed to be, and God is moved, we are moved to do something about it with the resources of Jesus. If you notice at this point in the story, nobody else is involved. It wasn't like the disciples are like, hey, Jesus, there's this funeral going on. Do you think we should do something? It's not like the mom was saying, hey, it's Jesus, come help me. No one else is involved. It's just Jesus seeing the situation, moved by the compassion of God, is moved to do something about this. It's just an everyday peasant woman. I mean, it wasn't like she was super religious. It wasn't like Jesus is like, I've never seen faith like this before. We don't even see faith at this point in the story. Jesus is just moved to do something about it. Now, um, are we doing okay so far? Now, I've seen a lot of people um, use this example of uh, Jesus raising this son from the dead as an example of saying that faith isn't required in miracles. And so um, I'm, not, I'm not here to like, make a big debate out of that thing, but I do believe that faith is required somewhere uh, for a miracle to happen. Remember in Mark chapter uh, f- uh, 6, verses 5 and 6, it said Jesus could not do many mighty works in his hometown because of the people's unbelief. It didn't say Jesus would not. Oh, these people don't believe. They ain't getting nothing. No, no, no. It said Jesus could not. Why? Because faith is required somewhere for a miracle to happen. There's a lot of scriptures that reveal faith must be present. Mark 11, 23 and 24. James chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. So where's faith in this story? Okay? I want you guys to get this. Everything that we receive from God is by grace through faith. By grace is God's part. That's him moving independent of our actions, our performance, of how good or bad we are. This is God saying, I see the human condition, and by grace, because of who I am, I'm going to move into this situation. Faith is our response to God moving. If God never moved, you can't have faith. You can have some fantasy. You can work some out. Let me give you an example here. Um, God, by grace, has never given you the ability to fly by flapping your arms. And so you can sit there and say, I believe in my heart, and I confess with my mouth that I can fly. You can do it all you want, but God did not move by grace, so your faith isn't going to take hold of that and make it a reality. But everything that God has moved uh, by grace, we can receive it by faith. Faith is our response to what God has already done. How are we doing? Here's some good news. When it comes to healing the sick and raising the dead, God already took the initiative. God already said yes 2,000 years ago. So you can confess with, believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, and it will come to you. Guys, there is nothing required for somebody to be healed, saved, delivered, raised from the dead, other than simple childlike faith that's not mixed with doubt. It just takes a mustard seed side if it's not mixed with doubt. How are we doing? Listen to Matthew chapter 10, verses 1. This is verse 1. Verses 1. Verse 1. This is Jesus to his disciples. And he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. And then so he gives them authority. Now look what happens in verse 7, Matthew 10, 7. Is this coming up? Awesome. Jesus gives them this command. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the leper, cast out demons. 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 I hate them demons. (laughs) Cast out them demons. You received without paying, give without paying. In other words, you got this for free, give it away for free. I want you guys to see this. He gives his disciples authority, and then he gives them some things that they have authority over. Now he gives them a command. Go and heal the sick, raise the dead. Guys, this is part of the grace package, is healing the sick and raising the dead. Like, hold on, Jim. That was just to his 12 disciples. So great. I'm so glad you asked. Matthew 28, 18 uh, chapters later. 
And Jesus came and said to them, these are the same 12 disciples that he gave authority over every sickness, every evil disease, told them to heal the sick, raise the dead. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. You ready for this? Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. What's one of the things they had commanded them to do? Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the leper, cast out them demons. I want you guys to get this. I don't want you to miss this point. When it comes to healing the sick and raising the dead, God already took the initiative. He has already done the by grace part, by giving you authority. He paid for it on the cross 2,000 years ago, and it says to as many as received him, to those who called on his name, he gave them the authority to become the children of God, John 1:12. When you got saved, you got the authority package to heal the sick, raise the dead. How are we doing? That's good news. I think I did that all in one breath. Whew. So in this story, the raising of the dead is 100% Jesus' idea. Nobody else suggested it. Jesus is taking the initiative. That's grace. Okay? He was driven by compassion that just sprang spontaneously from him. So, uh, so what faith is present in this instance? If this, is, if this is grace, what's faith? Well, first, the mother of the boy responded to Jesus in faith. Uh, this woman, she allowed Jesus to interrupt the funeral procession. Procession. You can imagine if now, if, if to, um, you know, tomorrow we got a funeral. Uh, if someone interrupts the funeral and uh, the wife is not uh, enjoying this, everyone else is going to side with the wife and say, "Hey, stop this! We don't see any of that." You can imagine, like the flute's like, doo, 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 you know, like the, the flute playing starts drying off, the, the banging of the tambourine stops, and they're all waiting to see what's going to happen here. And Jesus tells this woman, uh, "You know, do not weep." And uh, second, it cannot be proven that dead people have no choice in what happens. So first of all, the, the woman responds. She, she does not, she's not saying, hey, stop this. This guy's crazy. You know, how could you do this? So she's responding in an act of faith by stopping crying, and the funeral follows her. Okay? And so um, I've heard a lot of people say, well, you know, um, it doesn't take faith. Lazarus didn't have faith. Let's just talk about that for a second. Or, or this person didn't have faith. It cannot be proven that dead people have no choice in what happens. Okay? People don't cease to exist at death. They simply leave their bodies. They're still very much alive. And many people um, that I've talked to and I've heard of others uh, have been interviewed, people that have been raised from the dead have mentioned that they had a choice in whether to enter their bodies again or not. That's why a lot of people are like, hey, it's better to try and raise them as quickly as possible because the longer that they're in the presence of Jesus, the less likely they are to come back. And so... um, so I'm trying to think, our, our church has had over a dozen dead raisings, and most of them were within the hour. I can think of one that was 16 hours, and uh, that was a person who uh, woke up in, uh, in the morgue and had to unzip themselves from a body bag after 16 hours of being dead. I, I'm sorry, when we get to heaven, we got to see the video of that. I'm like, did he have clothes on? Did he have like a loincloth? I'm like picturing like his little finger getting in there and unzipping the whole thing. But I, if I'm, I'm thinking through the ones, car accident scenes, drowning at a pool, Drug overdoses, someone keeling over dead at an airport, multiple car accident scenes, those type of things. It was our people were in the right place at the right time. In America, it's a lot more difficult to raise the dead than it is in a third world country because in a third world country, they don't have the embalming process. It's kind of like they did in ancient Israel. They typically um, you know, anointed the body with oil so it wouldn't smell too bad, and they would bury it the same day and so, uh, or you know, within a day or two. And so um, we just don't have access to dead bodies with cleanliness laws, and so I've... Uh, you know, if you've ever gone to pray uh, to raise the dead, the funeral home's you know, pretty strict on you. Don't touch the body. 
I've been there when they're in the morgue before the uh, before any of the embalming happens, and I've had police officers standing there watching me like I'm crazy. It's a little bit of an intimidating environment. And so, uh, in other words, I don't want to discourage your faith if it's past a day. I'm just saying, if you, if you have the opportunity to do it, the sooner the better. Are we okay? Okay, so many people who have been raised from the dead have mentioned that they had a choice in whether to enter their bodies again or not. Although that principle can't be um, proven by Scripture, it can't be disproven either. So I just throw it to you. As experience. How are we doing? All right, so to be consistent with the rest of, rest of Scripture, I would say that some degree of faith has to be present either in the person receiving the miracle or an intercessor. In this case, with the mom uh, was kind of given the permission, whether it was the centurion who had, uh, you know, was pleading on behalf of his uh, servant, all those type of things. Faith has to be somewhere in the room, and guess what? If you're in the room, faith is there. You don't need to look around and try to figure if there's faith. You is it. I'm not trying to prophesy this. Some of you guys might need this sooner than you think. You don't want to try to cram for a dead raising or try to cram for a healing. We're doing this series for a reason and so that we can take these stories, allow them to get to us on the inside so when the situation comes, we're ready. You don't want to just ignore this thing, have an emergency happen, and try to renew your mind on the spot. So I'm encouraging you guys, us as a church, I'm going to give the dead raising challenge at the end again, that this is um, the time to do it is when you don't need it. Okay? All right. Uh, Luke 7, 14, then he came up and touched the, uh, let's just say coffin, touched the coffin, and the bearers stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. So Jesus, he's walking up to the funeral procession on the side of the road. He interrupts the funeral. The procession is halted. And uh, again, like I said, I can imagine like the, the, the tambourine people are like, bang, bang. Whoa, whoa. These kind of quiet down. I'm not really sh- sure if you've ever seen one of those movies where like the DJ is playing the music and everybody's dancing around partying and something like really bold happens and the record goes, and everything stops. I'm kind of imagining that. Like, like what is going on here? This guy's touching the coffin here, which is pretty close to the, you know, the unclean laws of touching the dead body in the Old Testament. So that's kind of what I'm picturing here. Then he came up and touched the coffin, and the bearers stood still. And, the, and, and he said, young man, I say to you, arise. I want you to notice Jesus addresses the dead man directly. Every time Jesus raises the dead, he addresses the dead person directly. What are we doing? We're looking over the shoulder of Jesus to see how he does it. Jesus calls to the dead man with authority when he says, I say to you. Here's Jesus taking his authority addressing the dead man directly, and he calls the corpse to get up, arise. Jesus spoke to the dead person when he raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. He said by uh, Luke 8, 54, by taking, but taking her by the hand, he called, saying, child, arise, and her spirit returned, and she got up at once. When he raised Lazarus from the dead, we'll look at that in a few weeks, John eleven forty three. when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out. When Peter, a disciple of Jesus, in Acts chapter 9, raises Dorcas from the dead. But, uh, but Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. So you just kind of get this picture. He's praying. He's probably asking God to remind him of his authority. He's remembering the things that Jesus did. Uh, and turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. Uh, and she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. So uh, what are we doing? Jesus is teaching us how to raise the dead. And so I want you guys, if you're ever in this situation, we're remembering your authority, and they're addressing that body directly and giving it the command to rise up. How are we doing? Is this helpful to anybody? 
Back to the story, verse 15, Luke 7, 15. And the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. It's so funny, Luke is so focused on the miracle of the mother, like the, the boy doesn't get anything, you know? It's like, it's, I mean, you can imagine the news outlets today. What did he say? You know, it says he got up and began speaking. What did he say? What did he experience when he was gone? Luke doesn't focus on anything. He just goes to the next part. And Jesus gave him to his mother. I mean, guys, you guys probably know the story this week. You know, there's an NFL player. Uh, what was his name? Uh, I thought I wrote it down here. Yeah. What you said. And so uh, he collapsed from cardiac arrest. And the new, what did the news report? The first thing he said was, who won the game? Like, they're so focused on that. But for, for Luke, this miracle is so about the compassion of Jesus and the mother. That it's like, yeah, the boy rose up, started talking, and he gave him back to his mother. The greatest miracle Jesus has done so far, and the man who receives it, is kind of an aside, because this story is about the compassion of Jesus. It's about the healing of a lady's loneliness. God was moved so much because of a lady's loneliness. Verse 15, and the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. The Greek wording here is the exact same as what Elijah said to the widow of Zarephath when Elijah raised her up and gave him back to his mother. Uh, so Jesus raises the boy from the dead. You're expecting Jesus to say, come follow me. I mean, he'd done that to a lot of other people he had encounters with, and uh, that would probably be a proper thing to do. I mean, Jesus had just brought this boy back from the dead. It's almost like this boy belongs to Jesus. Come follow me. And Jesus says, no, no, no. Go back to your mom. Take care of your mom. That's more important. It reminds me of when Jesus was on the cross and he said to his disciple John in John 19, 27, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. Jesus gave his mother. He's making sure her mom's taken care of. Call your mom today. <laughs> I'll just make that an application. Call mom and say, I love you. And if she wants to tell you about her day, listen to everything with great interest. How are we doing? That was a free one. Verse 16, and then it says, fear seized them all. I'll bet it did. I mean, we, we read these stories quickly, but can you imagine being at a funeral? You're mourning. You're in this grieving process. You know the person's dead. You're on your way to the graveside, and all of a sudden the person sits up and begins to talk. I mean, it's just almost hard to imagine. And they glorified God. That's interesting. They didn't say they glorified Jesus. They glorified God, saying, a great prophet has risen among us. And God has visited his people, and this report about him spread throughout the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. Now, they're a bit off, bit off in their theology. Jesus is more than a great prophet, but I bet I know where they're getting it from. So remember the story where Elisha raised the, uh, the Shunammite widow's son from the dead? Well, Shuna was a city not far from Nain, and they had a memorial there. So here it is. It's like, we know this story of the Old Testament, and now we've got one of our own. So it's like, here's this great prophet. It's, I, I can get where they kind of got that part. The city of Nain was just down the road from that city. Now, let's kind of conclude with this. Raising the dead, um, it can seem kind of remote and kind of out there to some of us. You know, even those of us who we we talk about it and believe for it, um, if we actually never get a chance to practice it, it can just kind of seem theoretical, right? It can just seem like kind of like a good idea, yeah. And um, you mentioned uh, raising the dead as someone outside the church, and they look at you like you're crazy. Like, like, I mean, I've got a... um, I got a guy who cuts my hair who's not a believer, and uh, I told him a dead-raising story, and it was as if I was telling him that Santa Claus came and had dinner with us. It was like, it was like, like of that level of like, yeah, right. Okay, like people just don't have a category for it. I believe that Jesus' dead-raising was more normal than just these three uh, instances. You're like, Jim, where are you getting that from? Remember when John the Baptist is in prison, and he's like, is Jesus the Messiah? 
Jesus uh, hits back with, hey, here, here's the things I'm doing, Matthew 11, 4 through 5. And Jesus answered, answered them, go and tell John what you see and hear. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. It's like, this is just kind of normal stuff. It wasn't like, hey, there's these three exceptions. Something like, I believe this was just a normal part. There was more, there was more miracles that happened than uh, was recorded in the New Testament. And uh, this was a part of the regular description of what Jesus did. So you know what that means? That gets to be a part of the regular thing that we see as the people of God. I'm going to read from you one of the church fathers, Quadratus, from 125 AD. I bet you guys didn't think you were getting that today. So Quadratus was writing to the emperor Hadrian around AD, uh, AD 125, and he was telling him, this is what Christianity is like. Okay? And so Hadrian was an old man at this time uh, when he wrote this. And so um, let's say he lived to be in his, uh, you know, let's say he lived to be a, a normal age, like around 80. Um, this would have been about 30 or 40 years after when he was born of, of this instance. So he would have known these stories. Here's what he says. Uh, he's explaining what Christianity was to the emperor. The persons who were healed and those who were raised from the dead by Jesus were not only, uh, were not only seen when they were healed and raised, but were always present afterwards. And not merely during the time the Savior walked upon earth, but after his departure, they were still here. And for a considerable time, so that some of them lived until our times. In other words, he's saying, I've met some of these people that Jesus healed. I've met some of these people that Jesus raised from the dead. You can actually see them and talk to them today. I mean, it's possible. I don't know how old this, uh, this boy was that was raised from the dead, but let's say he lived to be in his 90s. I would imagine that if Jesus, the energy of God, entered your body to the point where you were able to be raised from the dead... He might live to a ripe old age. Maybe this boy from the city of Nain was one of those that he was talking about to, to the emperor. Hey, you can go talk to this man. Don't know. But Quadratus, what's, what's Quadratus saying? This isn't to be looked upon as some fantasy. He was raised from the dead, and lots of others were, and lived on in the early church, uh, as, the, as the church fathers recorded. We know these guys. We've talked to them. It actually happened. So what are we going to do with this? And like I said, our church has seen people raised from the dead, but there's lots more that need it. Okay, I'm not saying go like hang out at morgues and those type of things. But, um, but usually it was uh, people in the right place at the right time. Like I said, drug overdose in the street. Uh, one was an ER room where a person flatlined, car accident scenes, drownings, uh, airport, someone died in an airport. And here's what I want to do. First of all, let's not put this out as impossible. Okay, this is happening around the world today, and it's happening around Ohio as we speak. So we can't just read these as a neat story. We've got to read these as something that could actually happen to us if we were in that instance. <clears throat> and so that's why I'm giving the dead raising challenge again. And so if you look in the back of your sheet that I gave, and if you're, uh, if you're watching online, there'll be a link for you to access it. Uh, the back of the page gives the dead raising challenge. Dead raising challenge is to take the different stories of dead raising in the scriptures Handwrite them out, begin to study them, meditate, them on, meditate on them to the point where you're dreaming about them. And so, uh, boy, I think in the last two months, I've had three dead raising dreams. I'm excited. I'm like, all right, it's starting to happen. And so, uh, and until it just gets on the inside of you so that you're ready when that instance comes. That's the dead raising challenge. We're going to have a dead raising team at the church. We're going to have a little badge that says DRT. Not really, but wouldn't that be cool? And so uh, your, entrance to, your entrance to the dead raising team is to get a sozo and to take the dead raising challenge. And so, uh, guys, I'm encouraging you. Like, this, this is for you. What would it mean to your kids and grandkids for you to become the kind of person who walks in this? You never know when you're going to need it. I, boy, I hope none of us ever need this with our immediate family members. But uh, I want to be ready when we are. How are we doing? I know this is weird. I don't, hear of a, I, I don't know of another pastor doing the dead raising challenge. I don't really care. 
And so um, what, what I care about is our house, and that when we walk out of here, we give them heaven. So dead raising challenge, if you didn't get to jump in the first time, uh, the water's warm. Come on in. The world's waiting for you. The world is waiting for you to see who you become. Now, raising the dead seems like the ultimate, but let's go like this. Um, if he raises the dead, then nothing is beyond his power. All right? If you can get this perspective and work backwards, okay? So if uh, cancer, MS, let's just say anything that the doctors call terminal is nearly dead, if he can raise the dead, any of this other stuff is easy. Guys, we've got to get this perspective. If you raise the dead, surely you can heal those who are nearly dead. Because I've seen people who had 24-hour, I remember there's a lady in the hospital. She had cancer in 90% of her bones. She uh, was in so much pain. When I went to see her, uh, she was seeing a psychiatrist because she was going mentally insane from the pain. She said it felt like her bones were outside of her body screaming. I was with another person we prayed for, and uh, she left the hospital 24 hours later cancer-free. They had given her one day left to live. Guys, if God can raise the dead, he can heal the nearly dead. Is anyone hearing me? And I think we need uh, to close with an understanding of the infinite compassion of God towards us. Guys, we're never going to understand the love of God. It goes beyond height and depth and width and breadth. It goes beyond knowledge. So we're always going to be growing in this. But to know that Jesus looked at this woman without any movement, any faith, anything that she did to, to push him towards her, nothing but the compassion of God. The disciples weren't hinting at it. Um, this means that our prayers get totally transformed. It means we don't have to give God a whole bunch of reasons for him to heal us or to raise the dead. Oh, I got to do this. And God, remember that I did this. I've seen people try to bully God with scriptures. God, the scripture says this, and you're honor bound. Boy, I, I, I don't like that. If I'm using scripture with God, it's, I'm saying, God, I'm so thankful that your word says this and I can agree with it. Big God, little man. You're never up here bullying God. I, I, I'm sure you got, if you watch Christian television enough, you know what I'm talking about. These people, it's like they got God in a corner and they're just backing him down. I think that's pretty stupid. But guys, if God is, is moved with compassion, if he is this unconditional love that's moved into action, then I don't have to do anything to convince him. I can just step into that river. So I'm going to say this, guys. God, give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation on our authority. And you don't need to pray for the power of God. If you will pray for the compassion of God, the floodgates of power will break forth. If you understand your authority, we'll see all the miracles we can handle. God already said yes to healing. 2,000 years ago on the cross, he moved by grace. He bore your sickness, carried your pain. By your stripes, you were healed. God wants you healed every single time. What about if it's my own fault? What about if it's genetic? What about if there's a generational curse? What about if it's because of some sin? God wants you well. Regardless of the reason for the sickness. You know your authority. Let's pray for the Holy Spirit to let the fountain of his compassion flow through us. See, we don't have a, pro a power problem. We have a love problem. It says faith works by love. So Holy Spirit, why don't you stand with me? Holy Spirit, we ask you for a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Jesus to show us the love of God. Lord, that we would uh, know your compassion so that we don't try to convince you with our prayers, God. We are just humbled by your awesome love in action. So Lord, give us that heart of compassion. Let us be moved with compassion that gives us a boldness beyond what we can work up in our emotions. And Lord, I just thank you that this is a church that heals the sick, 
and raises the dead, cleanses the leper, casts out demons, brings freedom to people. And Lord, I pray that our family members don't need this, but Lord, I pray that we will be ready. Lord, you've done your part in grace. Lord, we respond in faith and we just say yes. This may sound weird, maybe, but uh, just say this. I can raise the dead. I can raise the dead. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I bless your people to be the most dangerous people in Columbus, Ohio, that they're joining with you to destroy the works of the devil, that sickness will bow its knee to the name of Jesus over and over again. If there's anyone in here listening uh, by recording, listening live stream, or here in person, if you've been uh, given a name of a disease, maybe even a terminal disease, we just say the name of Jesus is the name of every name. I speak the name of Jesus over you, and I just say the Lord Jesus heals you. If you've got a part of your body that needs healing, just put your hand on it right now and, uh, and just receive this word, the Lord Jesus heals you. Lord, we take authority over every sickness, every evil disease, and we command it to bow its knee to the name of Jesus, and we speak these words, be made whole. Compassion. Compassion.